You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, this morning as we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, actually 1 through 8, but 1 and 2 especially, this is all about the change that God brings in our life. The first part of Romans was all of the talking, t- telling us, reminding us of just how messed up we are as people and how much how much sin we've fallen into and how so far away from God we are and how uh, ineffective and useless we are. And it's all about the grace of God, that God reached down and He loved us anyway and sent His Son Jesus to die for us and He redeemed us and He saves us. And so the first 11 chapters are just kind of a deep dive into that grace and mercy of God. And then Romans 12, 1 and 2 are really kind of a pivot point for the rest of the book because the rest of the book is all the practical stuff. It's all the stuff that now that we know Jesus and He's changed our life and He saves us and we have our our faith and surrender is in Him, then the rest of it is like we should live differently. And it's all about the kinds of things that we do and what God wants us practically to do. But in the middle is there are these two little verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that kind of are a pivot point for the whole book, if you will. And based on all that God has done, it's how we are to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, and we are to, to live and to follow and to serve Him. And when we do that, then the rest of the book explains what that looks like. So turn with me, if you would, and let's look at Romans 12. I'm gonna, we're going to look at the first eight verses, assuming I had the time to get there, but especially we're going to look at Romans at, at the first two. So read with me, if you will. The Bible says this. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not Old Testament, lay, kill the animal, lay it dead as could be on the altar and it's done and gone, but to offer ourselves as an ongoing living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Literally stop being conformed to this world but instead be transformed, and here's how it happens, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want you to notice with me this morning four steps to what I'm calling lasting life change. Most of us want our lives changed. We want our own lives changed along the way. If you've ever sat back and kind of kicked yourself and gotten mad at yourself, why did I do that again? Why do I always do that? Why, why can't I ever, you know, do this? And we know that we can do better and should do better. If you've ever wondered that, these verses are for you. If you've ever wanted God to do something in your relationships or wanted something differently, you know, all of us at some point in our life recognize that we're insufficient and we need God to do something in us and with us and through us and around us, that we need the God of heaven to show up. And these are four kind of just simple little steps that Paul is unpacking for us. Most of us in our world are trying to bring change into our life, and we kind of, I call it the little engine that could. That probably is an old illustration. Do kids read that story anymore? My kids are old enough that I don't know. I should probably ask my daughter with her baby, like, you're going to read that? But you remember way back when, the little engine, like, I think I can, I think I can, and just kind of work its way on up the hill and get there. Most of our 
you know, attempts in the world around us boil down to that, you know, try to do better, work harder, you know, work smarter if you don't work harder and just kind of better yourself and figure it out. If you're trying to lose weight, just do more at it. You know, if you're trying to get yourself organized, just do it this way. And so I, it would probably boggle our mind how many billions of dollars are made off of kind of that concept, you know, buy this and it'll help you do better. And this area is so much of life. But if we're being really honest, most of the change that comes along is very short-lived, right? And it's very shallow. It's not very long, deep. It doesn't really bring deep, big changes in our life. There are really very few things that radically bring change for the good in our world. Well, Jesus is the one that changes us for good, and He does it deeply. So first thing I want you to recognize in these, in these verses is that the first step, if you will, is having a spiritual family. Look what Paul says in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Brothers and sisters, that's who he's talking about. He's talking about us as a family. Now, there's a lot of organizations and a lot of entities, whether it's military or what else, that'll call, you know, brothers, band of brothers. But I want you to know that there is a brotherhood, a sisterhood, if you will, a siblinghood, whatever the way to, to say it is, and involves all of us, that goes deeper through what Jesus did. Paul says, I'm writing to you people. I'm writing to you who get what I've just talked about. You know who Jesus is. You know that you're sinners. You've received this. This is not new information to you. You have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. You haven't just gone to church. You really have drunk the Kool-Aid, if you will, and you've gone all in and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you are now brothers with me because God is our Father, and He has made each of us directly connected. We've been adopted into the family of God, as we saw in chapter 8. And the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. And He says, your life is different, and I'm appealing to you as a part of that spiritual family. You see, real change comes in our life only as we step into that world, only as we are adopted into the family of God, only as we give our life, as we surrender ourselves in totality then our, by faith that Jesus paid for our sins, that we cannot do it. And, as, and, and when we receive Him, we step into that, that world of grace, that world of salvation, we go from light to dark. We go from death, or from dark to light, excuse me. We go from death to life. We go from shame to honor. We go from guilt to being forgiven and innocent. God gives us a new, makes us a new creation in Him, and that is the biggest change that happens in our life. That's step one. So for some of you this morning, if you've not taken that first step of faith, that first step of surrendering faith into Jesus, that's where this whole thing begins. So often people are like, but I really want to deal with some things. We talked last week about some of the things that in chapter 11 that Paul, uh, or excuse me, in Proverbs talked about. That chapter 11 was two weeks ago. But in Proverbs, we talked about where the advice from mom, you know, like, hey, son, you kind of ought to lay off the booze a bit. Like, you should, as king, should not be getting drunk. Like, stop it. Hey, son, why are you running around and chasing other women? Like, that's really not cool. You and I are all having our times gone by, chased and done things we shouldn't. And if you're still in that spot where you're in that, in that world, the first step for you to come out of that and to experience real lasting change in your life is by faith, 
turning from that sin and trusting that Jesus died for to not just forgive you, but to bring you out of that and to save you from that. Because he doesn't just save us from the guilt of sin. He saves us from the sin itself, and he wants to bring that change. So step one is really the most important. You can't bypass it. You can't, you know, you can't take class 301 until you take class 101. And with God, 101 is just simply putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. 201, the second step, is what Paul goes on and talks about here. He says, says I'm appealing to you. I'm urging you, beseeching you as, as my brothers and sisters, as families of God. He says, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The second step of life change comes not, it comes after we surrender to Jesus. And it's what, what Paul is, is describing here is giving ourselves as a, uh, a holy, sacrificial, a worshipful sacrifice. So step two is presenting your life to God as an offering, as an act of your devotion and worship to holy God of heaven and say, God, do what you want with me and my life. I belong to you. I am yours. If you go out and buy a gift and give it to someone, you're giving it to them, should be no strings attached. Hey, it's yours. Do with it what you want. It belongs to you. When we surrender to Jesus Christ, we are surrendering to Him our soul and our, to save us. But it's more than that. We are offering to Him and saying, God, You are now my Lord. I belong to You. And there is a one time when we trust Him that that begins in our life, but the rest of our life is meant to be every day lived out as an ongoing offering, as an ongoing presentation. You see, Paul says to present ourselves. This is, it's not as clear in the English, but originally, when you read the original languages, he's not saying just do this one time. He's saying continuously. Keep offering yourself regularly, habitually. Do this. Present yourself to God's dispose, at God's disposal to do whatever He wants. Whatever He wants to do in you, Whatever He wants to do with you, whatever He wants to do through you, whatever He wants to do in your family, whatever He wants to do with your time, with your money, with your skills, your abilities, that you now live for someone else, that our responsibility as a newfound child of God is to give ourselves regularly and put ourselves at God's disposal. Don't be the toddler that doesn't want to do what mom and dad says. Don't be the obnoxious dog that wants to just run off and run away and not, you know, come back and obey and do its own thing. But instead, he's like, yield yourselves. Give yourself proactively, regularly. Make yourself available to God. Show up for work. Show up for life. Life with God every single day to be used of Him. Now, folks, that's challenging. I've been a follower of Jesus for 40 years, and today I still have a choice. I can present myself to God and let Him use me, or I can be obstinate and say, you know what, I've earned this. I just want a day off, God. I just want to chill. Like, you know, I'm not trying to go crazy. I don't want to do anything wild or reckless or be crazy, but I just I want to just chill. I don't want to have to just do much today when it comes to you. And that's not what God says. He says, look, Present ourselves every day of our life. 
You see, there's something different in that. I became a follower of Jesus when I was 13 years old. As a teenager, I realized even though I was a pretty good kid, hadn't really done anything majorly wrong, nothing more than any typical teen. You know, I lied and had cheated and stolen, you know, a little bit, but nothing really insane, nothing any more than anyone else. But I knew I was a sinner before God, and I knew that God saw everything that I had done wrong even when my parents didn't see or know, God knew it. And so I, I knew that He still loved me, and I knew that I earned punishment, and I deserved that, and I was going to be in trouble if I didn't receive His gift of salvation. But it wasn't, so I received Him at 13, made that step of faith. I took step one. But it wasn't until really when I was 19 that I would say when I was in college, probably my junior year of college, when I began getting more serious about my faith and I began presenting myself to God on a regular basis, that I began living for Him. Yes, I was a follower of Jesus, didn't doubt my salvation. And yes, you know, I was still, I was an even better kid, if you will. But there's something different than just being a follower of Jesus or somebody who knows Jesus and somebody who's really committed to living each and every day for His honor and for His glory. That's two different things completely. And that's something that we have to make a choice and a commitment in our life to do regularly. Paul says, look, now that you're saved and now that you've got all of these 11 chapters, your whole life comes down now to you regularly presenting yourself, putting yourself out there at God's as God's disposal. And the motivation for it is God's mercies. Notice it's plural, not just one. The Bible's never, God does nothing ever by accident, and there's nothing in the Bible that's coincidence or accident. He didn't say the mercy of God. He said the mercies of God. You see, the first 11 chapters don't talk just about one mercy. They talk about dozens of mercies that you and I get to experience. The love that God had for us to begin with. And God could still love us, but He didn't necessarily have to save us. The redemption that Jesus did, He bought us on the cross. The adoption that God does when He sends the Holy Spirit into our life. And all the things that we talked about in detail, He says, look, if you missed any of this, like you realize the mercies of God of what He's done in your life, this is appropriate. Let this be a motivation for the rest of your life to now actively pursue Jesus and to give yourself at His disposal to honor and to worship and to glorify Him. And that, that act of putting ourselves out there for God, that's our real worship. We sing every week and we should because it lifts our heart to God and we're careful about the songs that we sing, things that want to be accurate and that, that reflect who God really is and the truth of His Word, but things that also, I mean, not only that, but that we can actually sing, right? Some of us, like me, don't sing too well, so I need simple, easy stuff, you know? And, uh, and so, but, but we want to lift our hearts up in truth to God, remind us of those things to, to worship Him, and it's appropriate to sing praise to our God in heaven. But worship goes so much deeper than that. Our life, when you go to work tomorrow, as you get in your car and drive, or if you're one of those people now working from the computer, you know, ever since COVID hit and you're not going to the office, as soon as you click on your computer or kind of log in for the day, that is to be an act of worship to a God of heaven. You're to say, you know what? I may be here at my boss or my employer's desire because I need to, to eat, to live, and all of that, 
But God, I'm your servant today, even higher than just as an employer or an employee. That my, I want today to count for you. Folks, that's not something that we do once. That's something that we are re- regularly and repeated to do in our life, that we are to make ourselves at His disposal in how we live. And the standard of this, of how we live and what we do and what we think, is what God thinks. It's the holiness of God. You see, we're to present ourselves as a living sacrifice and to present ourselves holy, without sin, dealing with the sin, a purity about us that is acceptable to God. In the Old Testament, if you were to bring an animal to sacrifice to God, it couldn't be the leftovers. It couldn't be the lamb that fell down, broke its leg, and hanging on by a thread, and you're like, okay, well, I'm, it's going to die anyway. Let me just flop that one on there, and, you know, and that's good enough, God. You know, you had to pick the best. You had to pick the perfect. You had to pick one that was holy. And the picture of this is not just what God deserves, but it's also a reflection of who God is, that He's a holy God. And when we become a child of His, we enter into His family. It's like, you represent me. And your life should be holy. It should be what is acceptable to God. Now, if we're being really, really honest with ourselves, we don't like being accountable to somebody else's standard. We want to be accountable to the standard that we create, the one that we make up, one that we have a voice in, one that we get to choose, one that we get to have little wiggle room in, you know, the one that we want to follow. And the Bible's like, Sorry, it's not the way it works. Jesus did all of this for you. God did all of this for you. And if you really are going to live out the Christian faith, it's going to be you living your life according to God's standard. And folks, if we live our life according to God's standard, we're going to find out regularly where we are not living to God's standard. And that's part of that renovation work that God wants to do in our life. But that never happens until we take this kind of regularly take this second step of saying, God, I know I'm still messed up, but I want my life to count for you today. And God, do whatever it is. And sometimes God will be like, yeah, I want to do a little renovation in the bedroom today. Yeah, I need to do a little renovation in your, you know, in the attic. You got some stuff in the basement I'm going to deal with. And then other times he's like, you know what? I'm not going to renovate you right now. I just want you to do something for somebody else. I want you to serve. And it's just, it's holistic. And God does that in our life. But it starts, or it starts with our salvation, but it really begins to build when we regularly have that living for God attitude and commitment to Him. Third step, as we begin doing that regularly, the third thing that God says it's needed is a renewed mind. Look what verse 3 says. He says this, or verse 2, excuse me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God says, guys, when you start living for me, I saved you and I declared you to be righteous so that now you're innocent, but now I'm actually renovating the house. I've got ownership, but I, I want to renovate this house. And don't get in the way, work with me, not against me. And the way that I'm going to transform your life 
is by the renewing of your mind. And it starts when you and I stop allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world around us. That's literally what he's saying. He's like, stop being pressed into the mold that the world has for you. You see, if your life reflects everything that you see on TV or in the movies or here among your coworkers, you're being conformed to the world. That's just reality. Unless you live in a very small bubble where you are only around, you know, very godly people at all times, and you watch very little TV and very little movies and just, you know, kind of more in an isolated world. But if your life matches the world around us, I'm not talking about clothing styles or what you like in your coffee or that kind of thing, although some of the coffee you drink is ungodly, just saying. It's just like, you know, just like, what in the world? I'm talking about life choices. I'm talking about priorities of life. I'm talking about habits and behaviors and values that we're to stop allowing the world to push us like, you know, like making jello into a mold. And instead, we're to be transformed into something different. If you've been following Jesus or going to church very long at all, you know that we're to live differently. That's not newsflash. But what Paul tells us here is a simple but really big thing. And he says the way that you are going to be transformed is by the renewing of your mind. You know, usually when we're trying to do something better, we focus on that thing that we're trying to do better. I got to stop that. I got to stop that. I got to stop that. And I got to, I got, oh, I really got to stop that. And we get so focused on the that. And what Paul tells us is profound. He's like, stop focusing on the that, the even the yes or the no. And instead, just start getting your mind renewed. Renew your mind. That's where the real transformation is. That, that transformation literally means that changing us on the inside, not on the outside. There's so much image management, and it's all about your own personal branding and your own image and just all of that. And Paul's like, don't worry about all of that. I want, God wants to change you on the inside, because when you're changed on the inside, it eventually comes out on the outside. And the key to it is not to focus when you realize you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing, thinking stuff that you shouldn't be thinking, whatever. The key is, is to begin just renewing your mind and allowing God to change you in your thinking. You see, it, it's our thinking that really is the key issue here, guys. We sin, we go down roads we shouldn't, but our behaviors and our attitudes are all a wreck because of this organ that's up here. And Paul says, to get real life change happening, this needs to be renewed. And the goal isn't so much to put a filter on it. That doesn't bring real change. See, because the problem's already on the inside. I have sulfur water at my house. So I have a, a well, it's a really deep well, and we pump water in, and as, uh, as we use the water, I've got an, a tank that holds straight like chlorine, like probably hazmat level kind of chlorine, you know? If it, there's a spill, it just, like, it's just, it's really strong. I don't mean a little Clorox stuff, I mean like really heavy duty stuff. 
And so the wa- it calls for water and it injects it. So all the water that comes in my house gets injected with that chlorine and it sits in a tank so it can kind of sit there and permeate and do whatever it's going to do. It's going to deal with the sulfur bacteria and all of that junk. And it's not bad for you. It just tastes terrible and smells awful. And then, and then when we turn the faucet on, it pulls the water out of that tank and it runs it through two filters. The first filter takes out, you know, a bunch of big stuff and it begins taking the chlorine out. And then there's a carbon filter that whatever chlorine's kind of left over and there's chemical reactions going in there. You people who are science and know better than me on all that could explain all that. But it kind of cleans it up. So the water we get to the tap is like palatable. You could drink it, you know, and not die from the chlorine or not get chlorine poisoning, whatever. So it, it takes care of all of that. Those filters filter out the bad stuff. I want you to recognize Paul is not saying, hey, just filter out the stuff in your world. That if you just watch the right movies, listen to the right music, hang around the right people, read the right books, you know, read the right stuff online, that your life's going to be changed. The problem's actually deeper than that. The problem's inside of us. The problem's already in there, right? And he's like, that's got to change. It's not a matter of filtering everything. Sean, are you saying that, that, you know, that I should show my kids the worst movies in the world? No, I'm not saying that, all right? I'm not saying that. Like, be wise along the way because your mind doesn't need to be set on some things. But our mind thinking is what needs to be changed deeply. You see, the enemy has produced lies in the world around us. This is simple. But we've all believed dozens and dozens and dozens of lies. That's why we get jealous. It's why we worry. It's why we're greedy. It's why we do hateful, hurtful, harmful things all around us. And God says, I want to change that. And the way to change that is by changing your thinking. And the only way that that thinking is going to get changed is when God himself begins to work inside of us. And there's a clue in this, this renewal word there's most of the words in the Bible are just normal words and language that are used for every ordinary, everyday ordinary things. Like the word church. We think of church as a church word, right? You don't ever use the word church unless you're talking about church. Well, duh, Sean. I told you I'm simple-minded. Just hang with me, all right? Most words in the Bible, believe it or not, the word for church in the Bible just meant gathering. It was actually like the gathering of the town. It literally just means people getting together. It's actually in the Bible, it's not a church word. It's just a common word. This word renewal is actually a very unique church word. And it's only used two times in the Bible. It's here and it's over in Titus 3.5 where the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, the renewal that it's talking about is the Holy Spirit in our life making us alive, washing away junk that's inside of us, bringing in new and changing us from the inside. His his washing work in our heart, in our life. And the Holy Spirit works through God's Word. The way that our thinking changes is we get exposed to truth and God peels back lies. If you're struggling with jealousy... Really, there's a piece that you don't need to say, well, I just need to stop being jealous. i got to stop that. i got to stop just like, no, you actually need your mind renewed, recognizing that as sin. And you need to go a little bit further and ask the Lord God of heaven to show you why are you jealous? What's underneath that? What's inside of you that's a bit broken and a bit messed up and a bit fixated there? 
and to allow God's truth, because truth is what always fixes lies, and allow that to change your thinking. And when that changes your thinking, your jealousy begins to evaporate and go away. Folks, this is the focus of every area of our life. If you're struggling, I don't care whether it's dealing with uh, issues of lust or of greed or dealing, as we talked last week, about alcohol or whatever other things, what's got to change is our thinking. And you and I are not smart enough. That's why smart people are really good. They're just smarter sinners. They still do messed up things. Like, how, how could they be so dumb? Because they're really not as smart as they think they are. None of us are. It takes the Spirit of God inside of us. So it's God's Word. It's turning off some of the channels, stopping some of the bad input, a little bit of a filter. I don't want to throw that out the window. But the real change comes with God's Word inside of us. It's living and it's active. And as we take that nutrition in, God the Holy Spirit begins to change our thinking and our values change and our behaviors and our beliefs and all of that changes. And God says, that's what I'm trying to do. And then you're going to be able to test and prove what that will of God really is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. You see, you and I really, according to verse 2, really don't know what God wants us to do in life while we're living in sin. We're too dirty in that moment to hear from God. So you, you and I really can't serve the God of heaven apart from knowing Him by faith, surrendering our life to Him, offering ourselves regularly and putting ourselves at His disposal, and renewing our mind. That's something that we do, that we take care of the inputs, the focusing on the Word of God, and then God just does what God does inside of us. He cleans and renews us. And as we live that life, then we're able to discern and know what God wants to do in our life. See, if you're living in a world where you really don't know ever what God wants you to do and have a sense of that, you probably need to back up. One of these other steps is probably missing. Or God is like, yeah, I need to go a little bit farther here. Because God wants us to discern and to know what He wants us to do. Fourth thing, and then I'm going to do this quickly and I'll be done. Paul jumps from these two verses, and he then talks about our relationship with each other. And he goes on, and without missing a beat, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, when you get people together who've experienced this salvation, this life change, they're going all in with God, we're still sinners. That's why churches still will always have trouble. Right? Probably all of us in here, this is not the first church that you've ever been a part of. There's no church you've ever been a part of in the past that was perfect, and this church is not perfect because it is filled with sinners and imperfect people. Right? And what Paul is saying is, look, don't be thinking too highly of yourself. In other words, when you get a bunch of people who are like, well, I'm sold out to Jesus. I'm really, I'm laying it all on the altar for God. And I'm, there's a danger to, look at me. Check me out. Look what I've done. Look what I gave up. Look at the change of my life. And to walk around and be somebody. And Paul's like, uh -huh, be careful. Because as you pursue Jesus... 
be careful with pride. And he says, none of us should be thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. There's a subtle thing here, but the Christian faith is all about a relationship with God and living for Him and turning around and living in community with a church family. That's what he's talking about because he goes on and he says, for as in one body we have many members, I'm in verse 4, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See, we're all brothers and sisters and family in this together. And Paul, even more than that, says we're put into one body. In verse 6, he explains it. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, in other words, his encouragement or, or challenges along the way, do that well. The one who contributes, in other words, giving, do it in generosity. The one who leads, do it with, with zeal, a ferventness, a desire to do well. The one who does acts of mercy, who's merciful to others, do it with cheerfulness. Here's what Paul's saying. We won't dive into all of those individual things. We can do a whole series on the spiritual gifts, and maybe we'll do that at some point in time. But Paul is saying, look, you're now in the family of God. You're living your life for God, and I'm putting you in a family. I'm putting you in a family where you need to humbly serve one another. That's the fourth step of this lasting life change, is that God saves us to change our lives and forgives us, but he says now we should be an agent for good in other people's lives. And he says, I've given you spiritual gifts. I've given you some incredible tools. Each one of you that knows Jesus, he's like, I've given you some things that you're better at than other people. And I want you to use those, not to show how good you are and not to be lifted up and prideful and boastful because you can teach really well or because you really are sacrificial and you're serving well or because you're really generous and you give you know more or whatever a more bigger portion if you uh, even than others but I want you to do that well because you're in one body together and you need each other and you are my representatives on this earth folks I don't know anything tangibly other than what we've talked about this morning, about the just our relationship with God and us having a heart and living for Jesus that changes us like just a humble service to God. God wants us to serve other people. It has a way of cauterizing selfishness. It has a way of sterilizing the stench and of self-seeking and doing your own thing. There's just something about giving a piece of yourself and of your life and your time for others. It just has such an incredible impact on your life. I, I recently experienced this just a freshman. My wife and I were out walking, uh, trying to get a little exercise in down our road, and a friend of mine from uh, down the street, a neighbor of mine, we were just talking and talking to his dog. If I told you the name of the dog, you'd probably figure out who it is. He really went on Facebook and everything, but I won't tell you that. And, uh, and he was telling me, we were just like, what's new? Hadn't seen him in a while. He was telling me about, he was trying to put a floor in, and he'd hired a guy to put in some flooring in his house, and, and it didn't go well. He ended up having basically to fire the guy, and he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's like, I really can't get down on the floor. Like, it's more than that. And I really just, in the middle of that, I'm like, well, that's the, I know exactly what you're doing, because I put the same flooring in my house, and so I said, well, we'll come help you do it. 
And, you know, and in the spur of the moment, I'm like, I got 10 windows in my garage that have been sitting there since April. And I'm trying to, you know, sell this other building with the association. I'm busy and all of that. But I'm like, no, his, his car was broken down and it was stuck. And I just like, God, I don't know how I'm going to get all this in and fit it. Would you just help us? And so last Friday, Titus and I, we jumped in and worked all day Friday and we jumped in again on Saturday, and we got three-quarters of it, 9% of it knocked out. And you, when you serve, you know this. It just does something inside of you that, like, I don't care if I didn't get those windows done or not. Like, that was, that was I would have paid money for just that feeling, just to just to be able to bless somebody, enjoyed it, and had a blast, minus the stiff ankles and knees and hips and 54-year-old guys really shouldn't be doing flooring. But there's something that happens when you serve and you give of yourself for others. And when you serve in the area of your spiritual gifts that God has given you, you're actually good at it. Like when you've got the gift of giving and you give, like you're pretty awesome at it. When you've got the ability to lead and God's given that to you, or got the ability to teach, or got the ability to serve, like you're good at it. And there's a joy and a blessing and God puts us all together. Folks, that's who we are as River. Our church wouldn't exist apart from all of the volunteers, not just what we do on Sunday morning, but caring for each other and helping and providing. That's what a church family is about. I, I'll get close to meddling a little bit, and then I'm, I'll be done. But I know all of us have come from other churches. And some of you have come from churches where you've gotten hurt by individuals or by systems or whatever and all of that. And sometimes we get burned, and sometimes that leaves scars on us, right? Sometimes there's stuff that we got to work through. Sometimes God's using those scars because He's trying to do some life change inside of us. And sometimes we're, you know, fixated on problems. And God's like, "Yeah, I know they've got problems, but I actually need to do something inside of you too because you got some problems too." And so River is never going to be a perfect church, but folks. We are a church that's trying to be together to serve one another. And so the heart of the pastors here is that we want people to know Jesus. And as Dan shared earlier, is to grow in Him. And that growing in Him is growing together. Because you really can't grow well. You can't really experience life change well. You can't experience the full working of God in your life without having people that you're connected in with, that you're serving with, that you're giving yourself to, and that you're helping along the way. And that's why it's so important for who we are. That's why we even unashamedly talk about church membership and those things, because it's, there's a commitment level and a covenant of being in community together that comes with that. So what do you need to think about this morning? Each one of us, we never get away from all four of these. Once you take a step of faith in Jesus, then step one's kind of done. We should remember that, and we should relish that, and we should remember when we do the Lord's Supper and all of that, but we've trusted Jesus. But the next three, those things need to be ongoing in our life. Presenting ourselves to God is a worshipful sacrifice, giving of ourselves. Renewing our mind regularly in God's Word and with God and letting Him change and remove and do the renovations inside of us. And then giving ourselves, humbly serving to the best of our abilities, whatever that is, just doing our best to bless others along the way. Which of those do you need to think about this morning? Pray with me, would you? 
Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the changed lives. Help us, Father, to be a people that love and serve others, that love you, and not just some emotional thing. Lord, help us to feel that. But help us to go much further than that and to say, God, I want what you want. Help us to even admit, God, I don't want what you want right now, and I know that's wrong. Forgive me and help me. Would you change my wants? Lord, would you help us to each grow in our faith with you and our love and our walk with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.